You're listening to the Entrepreneur Ignited Podcast, where we aim to simplify online business so you can make more money. Now, here's your host, Derek Gale. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Ignited Podcast, a podcast designed to skip the hype, skip the BS, and bring you real, actionable tips and strategies to help you grow your business and income on the internet. And if I've done my job, when you're done listening to this podcast, you'll have a list of actions, tasks, and steps you can take to start growing your online business. This is your host, Derek Gale, and today we're going to be diving deep into Facebook advertising. And I cannot emphasize how massive an opportunity Facebook currently represents for so many online businesses today. Uh, you know, there hasn't I, I, there hasn't been an opportunity to drive targeted traffic to your website and offers for such little cost since, I, I honestly, I think the early days of pay-per-click search engine marketing. But I also believe we have a limited window of opportunity because every year, the advertising costs on Facebook are going up. You know, today you can still get targeted visitors cheap. Um, but is this going to still look the same in a few years from now? Well, you know, if AdWords is any indication of what competition can do to the price of traffic, then my prediction is it will not look the same. The price is going to go up. And that is why uh, I'm really excited to welcome today's guest to the show. And chances are, if you've ever clicked on a Facebook ad for, you know, an industry expert or leader, guys like Tony Robbins or Joe Polish or Dean Graziosi, I'm talking about best-selling authors, industry, industry leaders, then you're going to be familiar with his work because these guys rely on him to manage and grow their Facebook campaign. So without further ado, I would like to welcome Facebook marketing expert and authority, Nicholas Kuzmich, to the show today. Nicholas, thank you for being here. Brother, thank you for having me. It's a complete delight. Awesome. Now, before we get started, can you just take a minute to expand on, on my introduction and, and more specifically share your journey as a digital entrepreneur? You know, How did you get started online and what was your path to becoming this Facebook authority that these industry leaders are now relying on? Yeah, that's a great story. And I wish I could say like I came out of my mom's womb saying I was born to be an <laughs> entrepreneur. And this is the only way to go. But uh, the, the, the tale of the story would be a lie if I went that route. I mean, I remember as far back as uh, probably 15, 16, well, for my whole life, my, my father was sick. I mean, I remember watching him have his first heart attack when, when I was four and scared the hell out of me. Um, and then for most of my life, my my young adolescent life, my father spent most of the time in the hospital. Uh, my mother was an immigrant from from overseas, uh, had hard times getting jobs. In fact, I remember her coming home uh, as like a 40-year-old lady crying because they said they didn't hire me because I couldn't speak English well. Um, so at like literally 16 years old, I was forced to be, as an only child, the primary breadwinner for my family. Um, I was put in a scenario where uh, it wasn't easy and I had to make some choices. So I could have either gotten like a job at McDonald's and try to pay the bills that way. And I realized that that wasn't really going to do it. Um, so I kind of ventured out onto the internet. Um, and at that time I came across and, and Derek, you would be proud. Um, I came across a website called marketingtips.com from someone you knew very, very well. Yeah. Uh, the one and the only and the original Corey Rudel. And this was my first exposure to anything kind of like home-based, internet-related. I remember getting this huge box in the mail. And again, keep in mind, I'm, I'm quite young. Um, this binder full of like how to do this stuff on the internet. I remember like towering through, and that kind of opened up um, an entire world to me. It really took me down the proverbial rabbit hole. Um, but I wish I could say, you know, reading some stuff and applying it, and immediately I became, uh, like I had the Midas touch and everything worked work real well. The, the reality is I failed like a mofo for years <laughs> and like year, Like everything I bloody tried to do on the internet just didn't work. Um, and I'm sure some people can relate to it, but it felt like every time you feel like you hit the bottom, it wasn't the bottom. And so I'm doing whatever I can on the side as a side hustle to try and support my family. Meanwhile, I was determined to make this internet thing work. Um, fast forward a bunch of years, I'm now needing a traffic source because I had written this product under a pen name. It was a, a weight loss product under a pen name because I was ashamed to put my own name behind it. <laughs> um, looking for a traffic source. And this is when literally Google had its way with businesses. Yeah. Um, and it was the first time I was ever kind of exposed to what was known as like the first Google slap or whatever. 
Um, so I'm like, whoa, is this what the internet's really all about? I don't want to play in that sandbox. It looked a little too freaky for me. So at that time, I said I needed to find a paid advertising source. I knew I wanted to do this. And at the time, I really had two options. Option number one was Facebook. They had just released their little right side ads. Um, and simultaneously, I had plenty of fish.com as the other <laughs> advertising platform. Um, and they actually built a great advertising platform because they had, ca- you know, they had uh, captured all this data from its users, millions and millions of users, and you could literally pinpoint traffic. So I said, well, let's try and learn these both. I started on both of them, starting to drive traffic. Um, soon or very quickly, Facebook took off. Plenty of fish kind of didn't. Um, and I, uh, I guess it was luck or maybe the universe wanted it this way, but like we we're one of the first movers on Facebook. We started to get some real good results real quickly for, for ourselves, which led to people asking, how the heck are you doing that? So we started doing work for them. Um, and then I kind of got bold and I said, well, let me see if I can kind of put my money where my mouth is and make some irresistible offers to some A-listers. So I kind of put together a spreadsheet and said, well, who would be my ideal client? Who would I want to serve? I had these names of there's no way for me to be able to reach them. But thank God for social media. I reached out and I basically said, hey, look, I run Facebook ads. Um, I'm the best in the world. And I was just kind of making a bold statement at the time. (laughs) I'm the best at the world at this. How about this? I'm going to run a campaign for you. My fees are this, but you don't have to pay me until I get a result for you. Um, so I put myself in a corner. Fortunately, I was able to, to hit a bunch of home runs for these guys, uh, and people talk one thing led to another. Um, and here we are today being able to serve, you know, some of the biggest names in the expert information kind of thought leader space, um, and do some real good things with Facebook and kind of be on the cutting edge of, of what's happening there. That's awesome. So, I mean, you've been, you've been on Facebook since the beginning, effectively, Literally. advertising. Yeah. Yeah, when when the only way to really get clicks was to kind of put a smiley woman with cleavage and a, and a, like a a red border around it. That was what the courses were literally telling people to do. Well, yeah, well, to get the attention in that damn sidebar. Yeah, <laughs> that sometimes that's all that worked, right? Um, when they finally released the news feed, that was the that was a big day. Yeah, it was a game changer because, and I think this is where kind of the term, and I know it's an old term and it's kind of being resurrected recently, but I think that's where the idea of quote-unquote native advertising um, started to make its way into the into the realm of things. Because for so long, you know, we as, we as consumers are trained to ignore ads. Um, mm-hmm. So when someone logs on to Facebook and they see that right-hand side, they know that they're ads and our brain is conditioned to ignore them unless there's some familiarity with them. So when they released kind of the newsfeed stuff, we got all over that. We knew that that was the way to go at the time, and it's really been uh, a, 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 not a deal break, a deal maker for us. I mean, that just really took things off. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, so now knowing you know you're you've got huge experience, and you're probably seeing a whole vast array of campaigns. Uh, and I love talking to people in your position because you don't come at it from one niche, one campaign. You're doing this for different businesses. So you get right. to see a cross-section that the average guy running his own campaign isn't going to get to see. Sure. And uh, so that means you've got a lot of knowledge I want to mine <laughs> in the next 40 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, the first thing I want to start with, though, is the what mistakes are you seeing people making? The what not to do's right. that people are making with Facebook advertising today? Right, and I think I mean there's a there's a bunch of like technical answers to that. Maybe we can dive some into into the technical answers. But I think the overarching answer, um, and this is in light of not only you know breaking best practices, but people are losing their accounts like crazy, and that's because the people who are losing their accounts on Facebook right now advertising are like 99% of them are direct response marketers mm-hmm. who have come from an old school method of running advertising. And they've now taken these direct response tactics and they've applied them onto a platform that doesn't allow for it. It's an incongruent match where you're applying old school direct response forms of advertising on a social platform. Um, so can I kind of relate with a story maybe? Would that help? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so how I kind of describe this is, um, you know, the two of us are from Canada, so uh, imagine it's summertime. 
Um, and we're in the backyard having a barbecue and we're kind of like catching up. We're, you know, eating some grub, the chicken, the burgers are on there. We're eating away We're it's our family and our closest friends or kind of kids are playing out in the back there. Um, we're just kind of doing our thing. And then all of a sudden some guy opens the backyard door, walks in, takes a burger off you know, the barbecue joins our little circle where we're having this conversation. And if that weren't bad enough, they start trying to sell us a vacuum cleaner. <laughs> you know, the, 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 I, I go back and I ask people, well, if that were true, how would that make you feel? And the common responses are like frustrated, irritated, annoyed, and, and rightfully so. But if we take a step back and we ask, well, why? Why would we feel that way is because number one, that person wasn't invited. Number two, they came into a space that was, you know, that 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 they weren't supposed to be a part of. Um, three, even if it was kind of a decent space, um, you know, they're they're offering us something that we probably don't even want. And then on top of all that, I mean, it's just it's not congruent to the environment. And so even if I did want a vacuum cleaner, that probably wouldn't be the best place to do it. Now that's kind of a high level way to say. Actually, that's what most advertisers are doing on Facebook every single day. Um, you know, the proverbial backyard or the or the barbecue is really somebody's newsfeed, mm -hmm. and you have a bunch of people jumping in the newsfeed, basically being that vacuum cleaner salesman saying, "Hey, buy my stuff, buy my stuff, buy my stuff." Um, now, would that be appropriate, maybe on eBay? or on Amazon, I would say, yeah, because those are commerce platforms. And so people go onto those platforms with the intention to buy something. Facebook, however, totally different game. Nobody wakes up in the morning, logs onto Facebook with credit card in hand saying, I'm ready to buy something. Um, so as soon as we approach the platform, and it's this term that I call contextual congruence, it's being congruent to the context of the platform that you're playing on, I mean, if you're going to play on the Facebook space, then you cannot be that sleazy sales guy always trying to push things down people's throats. You got to realize that the platform is social. And if you want to play in, 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 that, in that playground, you got to play by the rules. And so the number one real mistake that I find most people are making on Facebook is they're coming on as aggressive marketers with the intention to take from the community rather than with the intention to give and serve the community. And worst case scenario, uh, well, best case scenario, they're going to be ignored, which is not all that bad of a problem, uh, except if you're spending money to be ignored, maybe that's a problem. <laughs> that's a problem. <laughs> um, but worst case scenario, someone's going to talk about you. They're going to X your ad out. They're going to leave a nasty comment. They're going to say that this person is whoever they are. And, you know, news travels at the speed of light. And one of the hardest things to get back online is your reputation. So I would say, hey, if you're going to play the paid advertising game on a social platform, then make sure you are congruent to the context of that platform and you understand the rules that you're playing with in order for you to get the best results. Okay. So, and, and this is a perfect opener for us on this, this call because you just said Facebook's a great marketing tool. It's a great, obviously, it's a powerful platform, but, right. but don't sell. Yeah. <laughs> One of these things yeah. is not like the other. So, so, so let's dig down because I know you have something that you've called your rapid scaling matrix, which I, I, if I understand correctly, is kind of your secret sauce for sure. ma making this whole thing work. Right. A and so um, let's dig into that because, again, I, I completely agree with you. My personal experience um, – you know, I'm, I'll admit it. I've I, I may have lost a few Facebook accounts along the way. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but when I unlocked it and figured out, oh my goodness, this is the way to do it. It was doing exactly what you're talking about. But this is where people. It's a disconnect, right? Because yeah. use it to market, but don't sell. What right. The, what the heck? So 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 how do we do this? And and so let's dig into your rapid scaling matrix and say, oh, how do we how do we leverage this platform if we can't sell? Right. And, and that's a, it's a great question. And I think, I mean, the ra rapid scaling matrix is just a really fancy term that we tried to throw on the process that we like to use, um, you know, when we are scaling out campaigns or when, when we're running campaigns for that matter. And it's kind of our approach to the, to the whole gambit of it. And I think um, in a higher level to understand what that means is really we use Facebook for two main purposes. Number one is to help reestablish or enforce a position in the marketplace that we want to hold, and uh, borrowing a Jay Abraham term, it's to establish preeminent positioning 
within a marketplace. So that's one of the reasons why we'll use Facebook because I believe that marketing is really nothing more than establishing preeminent positioning in a marketplace using unconscious narratives. So it's not like you going out there saying, hey, I'm the best at what I do, but you implying that through the content that you put out and through what you show on, on the platform. So that would be kind of the first phase that we do because I think once you establish a position in the marketplace, the offers, the sales, the funnels, everything becomes so much easier. So, so let me pause you there because yeah. th th this is this is really brilliant. So now elaborate. What is an unconscious narrative? Yeah. So I mean, that's a great, great, great point. So I could either go out there, for example, and I do this. If 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 anyone follows me on Facebook, they'll see me releasing one of two things on my personal profile that we end up turning to ads sometimes. Um, but I'll do one of two things. So an unconscious narrative is where it's kind of implicit rather than explicit. So I could go out there and say, hey, I'm the best in the world at Facebook advertising. Or I could shoot a little video that shows a recent campaign I did that just got 1,500% ROI and show someone exactly how I did that. And then just kind of throw it out into the ethers and say, well, what do you think about this? Um, and that would be a much more unconscious way to say, I am really good at what I do. Um, I'm not just going to only boast about it, but let me show you how I did it. And naturally when someone sees that they're going to make the conclusion that, Hey, this guy really knows what he's doing. B, I've never heard of ROIs like that. And C, he's not doing it in such a way where he's being aggressive in my face, but he's actually trying to provide a little bit of value behind that. Uh, does that kind of make sense? That makes perfect sense. Yeah, so that when we're trying to establish positioning, we're trying to see with our clients or ourselves, you know, what is the position that you want to hold in your marketplace? And typically thought leaders want to be the trusted authority. So it's how do we establish trusted authority status? And we can do that with kind of these proof type elements that I'm talking about, or we can do it through some really, really good content. In my opinion, good content that moves the needle for somebody and gets them that much closer to their goal um, is content that helps establish someone as an authority. So for us, I mean, it's, it's really my belief that anybody, if they know what they're doing and they can apply this tactic properly, um, is really only 90 days away from being a quote unquote marketplace micro celebrity in their particular space. If they just know how to do a few things right and they can get in front of their people enough with the right form of content or the right form of uh, proof, let's say, um, you know, you're 90 days away from people perceiving you to be one of the leading experts in your space. Got it. So, so you kind of look at this in two, two senses. So one, you're building up this positioning, the preeminent positioning of this authority or person. And then once that is built, once that is established, I, that's going to be an ongoing process. Right. And then laterally to that, that's when you start reaching into the market with ads, I assume, right, to create some kind of action. Yeah, so we actually will do them simultaneously. Um, so the first step is to kind of establish the position, and then the rest of it is to maintain that position. Mm -hmm. And then simultaneously, while that's being uh, done, we will also run ads. Um, and this is kind of the second tier of it. So if the first tier really is to establish positioning in your marketplace, the second tier that allows us to stay congruent to the social idea is running lead generation campaigns. So we're not running sales campaigns. We're not putting anyone direct to product per se, but we are running a variation of a lead generation campaign, which um, is designed to distribute some great content and simultaneously capture a name and an email address so we can then put them on, you know, what some people in our industry will call like a nurture sequence or put them into a funnel or put them on a platform that is not Facebook, um, but onto a, a platform that we can control. And people know that they're, when they're on a platform that we can control, well, then we can play within our rules. And that would include being really cool to people and building value. But then at some point, um, you could comfortably make an offer without it kind of breaking the uh, the rules of what you're doing. Got it. Okay. So um, now let's talk about, uh, first of all, lead generation campaign, giving away free, what kind of stuff are people giving away successfully? And where, where, how are they capturing it? Where are they yeah. driving them to? 
Yeah, so uh, I, I say there's two ways to do that, and this is what we teach. There's either one is the kind of the traditional landing page, mm -hmm. um, and that's where you go to a page, there's there's a promise for some content, um, but there's no real action you can take on that page except to leave your name and your email address or just your email address to get the promise that was offered. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of a traditional landing page, and I would say... Um, you know, I believe when it comes to lead magnets or, you know, bait pieces or whatever people call it these days, um, there's a bunch of categories that we can, we can fall into. And my goal and what I found with countless numbers of tests right now is we are looking for something that has high perceived value or high desire and easy consumption. If we can find something that has high perceived value and easy consumption, then we're off to the races. And so let's kind of go through a couple of examples. Um, an ebook, high uh, high consumption value, but not so much high desire anymore. I don't know about you, Derek, but when was the last time you read an ebook? Uh, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've downloaded a few in the day yeah. um, when when they were really hot, but. Um, and maybe I would have downloaded one in the last three years, maybe, but if I did, I sure as hell didn't finish it. I know that for a fact. Yeah. Um, so when people are like, oh man, I got to come up with a report or an ebook, like it's, it's too much work. No, you don't. Well, people do not want ebooks anymore. Um, some people might uh, offer webinars, for example. Now there's high desire for webinars for the most part in our industry. However, low consumption. People actually don't, at their first interaction with you, they don't want to give you 90 minutes of their time. They don't know who you are. Maybe that time would be time away from their kids or time away from their favorite television show. Um, so to request a, like a, a, a webinar, for example, or maybe a four-part video series or something that's traditionally used as a lead magnet, I would say actually doesn't fit into the category of what we're looking for. What we have found to be, right now at least, the best form of lead magnet is uh, something in the form of a downloadable short duration PDF. So something that is either a cheat sheet, uh, a resource guide, a tool list, uh, a blueprint, something that's literally one to three pages of highly consumable content. And if you want, Derek, I can go into kind of my formula that I use to create these things. Um, but it's literally highly consumable, easy to easy to download, easy to access, easy to consume really quickly. Um, these right now are the hottest things out there when it comes to lead magnet uh, for all intents and purposes. Well, let, 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 let's do it. Let's jump into your formula. Cool. So I call it the SAGE formula, S-A-G-E. And it's kind of just an acronym that helps me remember every time I'm coming up with a lead magnet, how do I do that? So the S stands for short. Um, I believe we live in this day uh, of micro content now. So, you know, whereas back in the day, you could put up a 45 minute video and expect someone to sit through the entire thing. Uh, right now, I mean, I'm looking at my, my Google Chrome right now and I probably have like 32 tabs open. Yep. Um, attention is short. Um, we are not looking for long pieces of content unless I know you. I mean, if I know you, Derek, and you send me a long video, I'm going to watch it. But at my first contact or my first exposure to you, that's highly not going to happen. So the general rule of thumb under the short categories, if that content can be consumed within, you know, four to seven minutes, maybe three to five minutes, something like that, I think you're in, in a good standing. So if it's a video, three to five minutes, if it's a blog post, something that can be read and consumed within that time frame. So that's the S. Um, the A is actionable. I believe we live now in a society and in a, um, in a, in a consumer-driven society where information is no longer important. Uh, it used to be back in the day, in our, in our spaces anyways, that everyone said that content was king. I don't believe that to be true anymore because content is abundant. Information is abundant. I don't know who the 22nd Prime Minister of the United States is, but if I wanted to, within a matter of seconds on my mobile device, I could find out for you. So a lot of people are, are pumping out content into the marketplace, but what I believe to be far more important than uh, information is insight, or more particularly, how do I apply information immediately to get a result? So no one's looking for a, a what anymore. They're looking for a how. And if you could provide that how in the form of actionable content, something that can kind of get them closer to a, to a goal, then I think you're doing really, really well. So that's the A, the action-oriented. The G from, uh, from Sage is goal-oriented. So what we got to realize is that all of our prospects who may or may not want to get involved with us 
have a goal in mind. They want to get closer to something and they move, want to move farther away from something else. Um, and if my magnet or my piece of content cannot take them all the way there, there's no way that my micro content is going to take them all the way there. But if my magnet can take them one step closer to their goal, and it, it, it does a whole bunch of things psychologically. Number one, um, it lets them know that they can actually accomplish this goal, which is truly enlightening for someone who's trying to accomplish or get a solution to something. But secondly, it also positions me as the expert to be able to help take them there. So if I can get one step closer to the goal, well, why can't I get them step two, three, and four as well, which is then kind of them taking those further steps with me. So I think that goal-oriented content that helps someone just get one step closer to what it is that they're going for is going to be brilliant for somebody. And lastly, E. Uh, the E in, in, in Sage is easy enough for a newbie to apply. Um, I've seen on the internet lately, and I don't know if you've seen this, Derek, but like I think there's this illusion out there that the like longer and more complicated you make something, the the, the more you're deemed an authority or the more you think <laughs> you appear as like you know what you're talking about. Yep. Yeah, I, I don't know where that came from, but the reality is people are not looking for that right now. People want something that is is easy to apply. It's just like give me the the one, two, three steps. I don't want to be bothered with with everything else. Um, just tell me how to do it in the shortest amount of time possible. If you could do that for somebody, somebody will feel so empowered that they want to kind of return the favor for you. And here's the beauty of this. I mean, besides being the best type of magnet to put out there for people, I mean, think about how less of a burden that is for the person creating the magnet. I mean, now I'm not sitting there thinking, by golly, I got to come up with a 40-page ebook. I'm like, well, what's a short checklist or a cheat sheet or a tool list that I can be sage with and that I could just like pump out in a matter of 20 minutes and put out in the marketplace so it's really a win-win for everybody that's that's yeah huge advice uh and you know i deal with so many people in the space that are starting out online starting with facebook starting with their lead gen offer stuff like that and you're right there's this perception that i need to build something that's long that's complicated and and i think it goes to the psychology of people going oh it's only one page there's not enough <laughs> right. value, right? right. So uh, there isn't enough perceived value. But I a thousand percent agree with what you just said there. We've shifted where people don't want to have to consume large, large pieces of content to pull out a few tidbits of right. of stuff, right? So um, yeah, that was, well, I guess <laughs> I guess we'd call it sage advice, hey? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All filler, no killer. That, I mean, sorry, all killer, no filler. That's really the idea. That's awesome. Okay, cool. So now let's pull out of the offers and, and let's go now to the actual ads themselves and actually advertising on Facebook um, and talk a little bit about, you know, what you're doing and what is working well there. Yeah. So uh, I think, again, in, in light of what we're talking about here, I think the main goal that for, for people to realize is, and I call it kind of the 101 of Facebook advertising and the 201. The 101 is like the mandatory courses that you need to take in college or university that everybody needs to go through. And that's having like an ad and a, a some form of a landing page that's going to capture a lead. Now, we just talked about a traditional landing page. What I know to be working really well right now as well is what I would call a value first lead generation page. Now, now, I need to come up with a much better name than that. But the idea is like a blog post that actually has ungated content um, that you just kind of throw out there to the marketplace and then as a supplement or as a continuation or as um, – uh, something that can really attribute and take someone to, uh, like templates, for example, would be a, a great type of magnet. So what we've tested and that's working really well right now is if we want to drive people to ungated content, which is very native to Facebook, people love sharing good content on Facebook, but then within that content, you have embedded call to actions for various things. So one, you know, for example of mine, I'd recently write a blog post, uh, wrote a blog post on how to avoid getting your Facebook advertising account shut down. Um, it's like 3,900 words. It's a mammoth of a post. And so I realized that I can just put up that post and leave it there or – um, I've condensed all of that information in literally to a three-page checklist that someone can print out, put beside their computer and say, hey, the next time I'm writing ads, um, let me just make sure I'm, I'm following the guidelines on this checklist and I can just worry about it that way. So when you hit that page, it's in essence content, but 
I say, hey, you can either read through this full 3,900-word uh, uh, blog post or you can get the checklist here. Just give me your name and your email and tell me where to send it. And that has been literally generating leads every single day for us um, because of how it was structured. So when we're thinking about ad campaigns, I think two ways to look at it, uh, well, three ways, preeminent positioning being one, the other one being lead generation. And when it comes to lead generation, you can either go into the traditional landing page or you can go into some lead generate uh, value first lead generation pages, and I think both will serve you really well. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. That's yeah, brilliant. And uh, okay, so now let's let's shift our, our focus to actual the ad platform itself. Okay, sure. so we've got we've got ads, we've got the sidebar ads, we've got mobile ads, mm. we've got dark posts. Where are you spending most of your time? Oh, that's a great question. I love people when they ask that because you know that they're kind of delving into the into the areas. Um, every time we run a cold ad, and so a, a, to us, a cold ad simply means we're targeting an audience that doesn't know who we are or doesn't know who our client is. Um, so this is not the fan page. This is not a custom audience via an email list. This is like literally a cold ad. 100% of our attention will go to the newsfeed ad, and it will be an unpublished post, a.k.a. a dark post. And the reason why we do that is because um, we're probably going to be split testing at the same time. And for those who may not know what a dark post or an unpublished post means, it's a post that appears in the news feed um, as though it was coming from a fan page, but that post never gets posted on the fan page itself. Um, and the reason why we do that is because we're probably split testing a bunch of variations of this ad, and it would be you know terrible if a fan actually went to a fan page and saw the same ad rewritten you know four different times with different <laughs> images. I'd be like, well, this is kind of weird. And so that's where the benefit of the dark post comes from. Um, so 100% of the time, to a cold audience, it will be a dark post or an unpublished post. It will be in the news feed. And we are always split testing and separating desktop from mobile. Because if you lump them all together, the reality is people on desktop respond different ways than those who, who are on mobile and vice versa. And if you lump them together, Facebook is always going to favor mobile over desktop because there's more mobile users than desktop users. So we always separate those out. And again, depending on what the magnet is and where we're driving traffic to, for example, um, would determine our placement. So a, a, a little bit of insight on that is let's say we were driving people to a, uh, a video case study or maybe a top-of-the-hour webinar, um, we would not use mobile to do that because there is very little likelihood that someone on their mobile advice is going to sit and watch a 45-minute video or a 90-minute webinar. So we want to just kind of exclude that knowing that the user is probably not going to participate at that level. But if it's a general campaign, news feed, we're separating out desktop mobile, and we're definitely going unpublished posts so we could do some split tests. Awesome. Okay, so now let's take a step forward and let's let's talk about targeting and uh, and with targeting, you know, I, I I've done a bunch of testing, I've done a bunch of different things, and um, my personal experience was uh, when I'm targeting, if I'm connecting to people that are at least connected to me in some way, I'm right. getting the highest response. Going right. out dead cold without having that social proof of somebody you know likes this ad did drop the response substantially. What is your, how are you targeting? What are you finding to work the best for you? Yeah, so when we're talking about targeting or quote-unquote audiences, we kind of lump audiences into four different categories. Uh, one would be kind of the cold interest or behavior-based type targeting. Mm -hmm. um, the other one would be what's known as lookalike audiences. Mm -hmm. uh, a third one would be retargeting. Um, and there's kind of a bunch of nuances to that. And fourthly would be custom audiences. Um, and and for, the, for the sake of this conversation, our custom audience would mean we're taking a list, we're uploading that email list into Facebook, and we're creating a custom audience out of an email database. Mm -hmm. um, so you're right. The closer they are to home, the better response that we're going to get from people. However, the limitation to that is scalability. I mean, no matter how many fans you have on your fan page, unless you're a Tony Robbins and you have 4 million people on your fan page, the reality is that's going to run out real quick. Even if you have 100,000 people on your mailing list, that's going to run out real quick. Mm -hmm. So at some point, we need to expand out into a cold, cold audience. So whenever we're running an ad, we'll definitely go after the lowest hanging fruit first. And to us, that would be custom audiences that we've uploaded. 
as the first category. Secondly would be retargeting. So anyone who's visited any particular web properties that we have a retargeting pixel, they're kind of our tier twos. Um, Lookalikes we don't actually do, but here's how we do a trick with them. If we're gonna reach out to a cold audience, so let's say I'm in the personal development space and I wanna reach out to people who like personal development, then you sure as hell better believe that I'm going after Tony Robbins' audience or Brendan Burchard's audience, because I know that they have a big following. But with each of them having, you know, two to four million fans, that's pretty broad and my lead cost might be a little bit expensive. So what we do is we upload our, our customer database, if we have one, customers, not leads, but our customer database up to the ad platform. Then we create a lookalike around it within the countries that we're trying to target at the lowest possible um, number of people, which is basically 2 million people, the closest match we can. And we take that and we create a lookalike on it. Now what we do is we go after the cold audience, i.e. Tony Robbins or Brendan Burchard, but we're going to layer our customer lookalike on top of that. That's going to shrink that audience from 4 million to maybe like 600,000, which is a significant drop. But now we know that the people that we're going after in Tony's audiences are going to be as close to our customers as humanly possible. And that's going to be enough for us to drive um, leads to a website conversion type ad in our objective and we are putting a, a conversion tracking pixel on there, and that's going to be enough to start seasoning this conversion tracking pixel. And I apologize if this is kind of little advanced stuff. Hopefully, it's it's not beyond most people's heads here. Um, but the reality is, if you put a conversion pixel on any thank you page of a lead generation page, the more people who hit that pixel, and we call that seasoning the pixel, the more people who hit that pixel, the more Facebook gets intelligent about the type of people that we're trying to reach. Mm. And the more Facebook gets intelligent about that type of person that we're trying to reach, now when we start delving into these cold audiences, we have this pixel doing a lot of the heavy lifting for us because we've set up a website conversions campaign. And now Facebook is going to really do a lot of the grunt work and try to find the people who are most likely the ones uh, based on this demographic we've built with this now season pixel. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense. And, and, uh, you know, I've run those whole campaigns and doing the custom audience, the lookalikes and stuff like that. But I did not know that the conversion pixel was going to impact their ability to find better people. That's yeah, that's that's huge. Well, we can even take that a step further then. And let's say what people tend to do then is when they're running kind of multiple lead magnets across the board is they'll set up a new a new conversion pixel for each of those lead magnets. And it makes sense to do that theoretically or you know logically because each lead magnet needs its own pixel. Sure. Uh, but what we, what we actually do is if we know we're going after the same audience but just a different angle, we're going to use that same pixel for the exact same purpose because the more people who hit that pixel, the smarter that pixel becomes, the better reach we're going to have of our ideal person. So that's kind of another thing that people can realize is rather than having different pixels for each offer, which then requires Facebook to season all those separately, um, if you use the same pixel across the board, um, and you can even amplify that even bigger. Let's say you have a multi-tiered businesses that is reaching multiple niches. You could have that same pixel just for the niche. And now anybody you work with, you can use that pixel for them. And it'll even, I mean, you could see how far we can go with oh, this. Yeah. But it's, it's kind of one of the most underutilized things uh, with Facebook. They don't realize how powerful that pixel can be. No. Absolutely not. I had no idea it could be that powerful. That's fantastic. Um, okay, cool. So where where are we at for time? Oh, we're gonna we're gonna run out of times here soon. So what <laughs> what I want to do? I um, oh, I've got so many questions for you. I'm gonna let's have to, just I'm, go. I'm just Should we just do, go a little bit or, or what? Uh, let's just do it. Um, okay. So as we're we're moving through the. Um, through the process, and I'm, I'm doing this in my head, picturing the, uh, the Facebook uh, advertising platform here, okay? So we've gone through, we've done our targeting, we're creating our ads, um, bidding, and, yeah. and setting our bidding strategies. Right. How, how do you go, you know, I mean, there's, there's different options. We can do it per click, we can do it CPM. Where are you spending your time? Yeah, so great question. So nine times out of 10, if we are, and here's how we divide, um, uh, our campaign structure. Typically, we're either going to do a clicks to website campaign or we're going to do uh, a website conversions campaign. If in our goal is to capture the lead, then we're doing a website conversions campaign. If we, if our goal is to drive people to content only, then it's a website clicks campaign. Um, so based on that, then 
nine times out of 10, when we start a campaign, we're going to leave it to what's kind of known as OCPM or just kind of optimized bidding that lets mm-hmm. Facebook go out and find the people that they think are most likely going to convert. So we'll always let Facebook determine the bid first. Um, and especially the more seasoned our pixel is, the better job Facebook is going to go at finding those people. Now, after we've done that for some time, one of the kind of like hacks or, or things that you can you can uh, do here is af- it takes Facebook approximately 24 to 36 hours to optimize any given ad. So if we run an ad, I know I know some of the newbies when they start to run ads, like they're glued to their computer, like they're watching a stock chart. Mm-hmm. And like, oh my God, I'm watching every second of every lead. And oh my God, my lead's costing $3. And that was $3.20. And that was $4.20. And that was back to two. And I mean, real the reality is that's just going to give you a bunch of headache. Set your thing up. Let Facebook optimize it. Walk away and don't look at it for at least 12 hours because that's going to fluctuate as Facebook optimizes your campaign for you. Um, within about a day, Facebook's going to get a real good feel for what that's going to cost to capture leads for that audience. And they're going to spit out that number and you're going to see that leads cost you you know, $2 or whatever. As soon as that happens... Um, you have to make a bunch of choices. Number one is, are we happy with that lead cost? And if we are, do we want to increase our budget to scale and reach more people? And keep in mind, when you do scale, you're going to hit a point where as soon as you keep raising raising your daily budget, it's going to throw off the Facebook algorithm and your $2 leads are now going to become 3 or $4 leads. So if you want, we could talk about how to avoid that while scaling. But um, and then your other option then is, you know, you have this $2 lead that's, that's working. Are we just going to be happy with that or do we want to try to make it even better? So if we want to try to make it even better, advanced bidding, and this is how we kind of approach it, is we have a campaign running. It's established at approximately a $2 a lead campaign. We know that we want to get that down to $1.50, let's say. So what we'll do is we'll take our goal of $1.50 and we'll we'll uh, times and a half that. So we'll we'll say four fifty, right? A dollar fifty times three is four fifty. We'll change from optimized bidding to cost per conversion, where we dictate manually how much we're willing to pay per conversion, and we always take our goal and times it by three. So in this case, if our goal is a dollar fifty, we will set that manual bid to four fifty. And then for some reason, nine times out of 10, something magical happens. Um, we can start to see if we could beat that $2. And what, what happens again, eight or nine times out of 10, is that $2 lead now becomes a $1.60 lead. Hmm. And, it, and it gets reduced. Um, so you can't do that right off the bat because you don't know what Facebook has optimized for. But once Facebook has optimized and have a consistent number for you, then you can kind of dive in there, get, get involved with some of the manual bidding, and you could probably bring down that lead cost by doing the strategy I just shared there. That was huge. That was awesome. All right. So, okay. So now moving away from, so let's say we've gone through, we've placed our bids. All right. Our ads are running. Um, you know, one of the ones that's a big mystery for people right now. And I know talking to people is, is relevancy and positive versus negative feedback and how that's affecting us and what we can do about it. Right, right. So the really the big thing that you really need to watch out for, and this is where a lot of people miss it, is actually your negative feedback. Now, it's not a score. Facebook just basically says it's high, medium, or low. Yeah. Um, but when you're watching your negative feedback, if an ad of yours pops into the high negative feedback uh, genre, if you will, or element, um, it is my advice to turn that ad off as quickly as humanly possible. Because if you let a negative feedback ad, even if your, po- your, your positive feedback is high as well, if you let an ad that has negative feedback run for too long, Facebook will say, this person is not, A, they're not listening to us, B, they, they're not understanding their audience well enough, which means that they're probably breaking some rules in our community. And so as a result, they will unannounced and with 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 no forgiving action at all, yep. will shut down your account, <laughs> and you're going to wonder what the heck just happened. I had I had a high relevancy score, I had high positive feedback. We're gap- capturing all these leads by the thousands. What the heck just happened there? And it's because of your negative feedback. So I think it's one of the kind of things that are missed the most mm-hmm. amongst marketers because that will be indication of whether or not your account is treading on thin ice. And I would highly advise if you see something like that, repurpose the ad slightly, maybe change a graphic out of the copy a little bit, duplicate it, and then have it start all over again. 
Right. Okay. So now in that same vein, let's talk about their, their compliancy and their penalties. And I've heard varying opinions on this, but one of the things I've heard is it's very algorithmic based. And based on what I've seen, I kind of believe that. It's not in many cases somebody manually reviewing as much right. as it is an algorithm. Right. And their actual compliance department's not that big. Right. What's yeah. your... Yeah. So, well, to be honest, if, if, if I could crack the Facebook algorithm code, I, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing today. There's a, <laughs> a big business available there. Um, but I do, I do agree with what you're saying there, Derek, because it seems to be the case. And I think the biggest indication is um, Facebook has a hard time distinguishing the difference between a positive and a negative comment. Um, but what they can watch is impressions versus engagement. And what they can definitely 100% see is every time someone clicks the little X in the top right of an ad saying, I do not want to see this anymore. Mm -hmm. um, that triggers something in the algorithm to say, well, let's flag this a little bit and let's watch it carefully. And if they continue to see people Xing that out over and over and over again, um, again, because it's not a human being reviewing the account, uh, the algorithm will just kind of send notice to Facebook saying this person has no idea what they're doing. They're probably spamming people. Let's shut them down. Um, and that's kind of been the remedy that, that Facebook has, has, has deployed. So I agree. I think it's an algorithmic thing. And uh, the only thing you need to watch for there is the negative feedback. And the negative feedback is, is uh, indicative of how many people are kind of clicking X's on your ads. Right. Got it. Now, the, uh, as we're talking about these campaigns and we're talking about our cost per click and, and how much we're bidding, when you're setting up your campaigns, are you setting them up? You're, you're generating a lead, but are you trying to create something and have you had success creating uh, a self-liquidating campaign that is maybe there's something free, but once they take that, there's an immediate upsell and generating revenue to cover the cost of that? Or with Facebook, are you finding that you're typically capturing that lead and then you need to build value, put them into a nurture funnel and then convert them later? Yeah, that's a great question. I think there's no perfect answer because I think every, I mean, in, in marketing funnels, if you will, um, like every business has a different approach to their funnel and there's no one perfect funnel, no matter what anybody says. Mm -hmm. But how I see it is that I would categorize prospects into one of three categories and I call them swim lanes, the fast, the medium, and the slow. So the fast person is someone who's like highly engaged, highly interested. They just downloaded the magnet. They're like, wow, this is amazing. I want to buy whatever this guy has. Now, they're few and far between, but they do exist. So to not give them an opportunity would almost be like leaving money on the table. Um, then you have your medium lane guys. And these are guys who enter into the funnel and they need to go through the regular process of the funnel. They need the four-part video series or they need the webinar or they need the nurture sequence and they need all that. And then, you know, a good percentage of them when they come out the end will end up buying whatever your conversion, your average conversion rate is. And then you kind of have the slow guys. And these are like, you could probably relate to this much more than I can. These are people who probably like hop on your list They've been on that list for 12 bloody years. They've read every single email you've ever put out, but they've never bought until like one day something clicks in the back of their mind and they're like, yeah, I think I should buy that Derek's product. And they do. And it was like 12 years in the process and it just kind of happened. Um, so with regards to self-liquidating offers, I think that um, it's probably one of the most underutilized things. And if you can do it in an elegant way mm -hmm. where you're not just trying to like, hey, buy my stuff, buy my stuff, but like, hey, you got this magnet. I have this other thing that kind of supports it. I usually offer it for X number of dollars, but kind of as a thank you, I'm offering it for a lot less. Um, and, and here you go if you want it. I'm only making it available right now. Um, so if you feel like it's a good fit for you, go ahead and grab it. I think if you kind of take that approach, um, self-liquidating offers are a great way to not only self-liquidate, but really help the fast movers feel like they're still part of the process and without kind of hurting your medium and slow mover, movers with thinking that you're coming across too salesy. Awesome. That's a great answer. All right. So now... now we're, we're going to wrap this up, and but before we do, if our listeners want to find out more about you, your business, your project, stuff you're working on, where do they go? Yeah, great question. So, I uh, well, everything to do with me is at my website, nicholaskuzmich.com. I know people are going to have a hard time spelling that, so I'm hoping we can put it in the show notes somewhere. We, oh, we will. Okay. Um, so everything me is kind of there. That's where people get a, a good idea of, of me. If they want to connect with me, my Facebook is Nicholas Kuzmich. I'm the only... 
Nicholas Kuzmich on the entire planet, or at least of the 1.3 billion Facebook users. So it's going to be really easy to find there. Um, but if you don't mind, Derek, I actually have a, a kind of a free gift that we just put together um, this morning, for that matter, that might be uh, of relevance to some of your guests. You want me to kind of go yeah, into that? Just absolutely. A bit? Cool. So. Uh, most of, uh, you know, it, the position I hold in the marketplace is if I can give away information, I'll give it away for free. Um, I realize that probably 99% of the population cannot work with me at the level that we play at. And I'm, I'm totally cool with that. So that kind of removes me from this idea of having, well, I got to sell something to everybody. I just kind of give all my content away. Um, so most of my higher level training I actually do behind closed doors. And by that, I mean, I have some of these mastermind facilitators invite me to come teach their higher level guys. People who've paid anywhere from $18,000 to $100,000 to be a part of a mastermind, they kind of bring me in for a day to teach some of our core kind of higher level concepts. Um, and it's usually behind closed doors. None of this stuff is recorded or made public. But um, I've taken one of those trainings that I did and I've summarized them. I'm, I mean, literally, it's, a, it's a, a full day training, but I've kind of condensed it down into one 40-minute kind of high level, the best of the best stuff. And uh, I'm making it available to people and I call it the behind closed door training. It is only available for a limited time, but if anyone's interested in that, um, nicksblog.com, N-I-C-S-B-L-O-G.com backslash secret. Um, it'll take you to a landing page. You just fill out your name and your email address. Tell me where to send that and we'll send it off to you. Again, it is limited, but it is kind of a real cool way to see some of our higher level stuff without having to pay for any of it. That is awesome. And, uh, we will definitely include those links in the show notes. And, uh, you know, Nick, I want to thank you for sharing so much. I, that was a Facebook crash course, but not a 101 crash course. There was like some really high level good stuff in there that uh, for all of our listeners to get that kind of training from somebody that has this level of knowledge at no cost on a podcast. That was <laughs> right. That, that was phenomenal. But so, make it be known on Derek's podcast. Uh, on De that's right. <laughs> Not any podcast. That's on right. Your podcast. Thank you. Thank you. So yeah, Nicholas, thank you so much. Oh man, it was a it was a great time. Thanks for for having me. It was a total pleasure, and I'll do it any anytime, anywhere, anytime you ask. Fantastic. All right, everyone. That was Facebook advertising expert and authority Nicholas Kuzmich. And as always, any links mentioned in the interview will be included in the show notes, along with an entire transcript of the episodes. And you'll find all that at entrepreneurignited.com forward slash podcast. And uh, also, don't forget if you haven't done so already, you can get every future episode automatically. You just need to go. To to iTunes if you're an Apple user and subscribe, or if you're an Android user, you can find us on SoundCloud. And if you like what you heard today, while you're there, leave us a rating, leave us a review. And uh, now it's time to take the tips, tools, and strategies that you learned today and apply that final essential ingredient to making it actually work. And that ingredient is action. So go forth, take action, apply what you learned today, and stay tuned for more info-packed episodes of the Entrepreneur Ignited podcast. A podcast is designed to simplify online marketing and business so you can get bigger results faster and make more money. This is your host, Derek Gale, signing off. You're listening to the Entrepreneur Ignited Podcast, where we aim to simplify online business so you can make more money.